What is up, everybody? Welcome to Wayward Artists in a Wayward World. I'm Sid, and joining me today is the lovely and talented Aaron Sellers. Aaron, how are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you, Sid? I'm doing really good. You, uh, Aaron, I've known you for such a long time, and you do a lot of things. So <laughs> let's get right into it. Honestly, like, who are you, and what do you do in, in this artistic world? Uh, that's honestly so hard to describe, because like you said, I kind of do a lot. Um, <laughs> but I am a senior theater and public relations double major at Gonzaga University, minoring in writing um i'm actually applying for grad schools right now so that's kind of kind of where my head's at is just thinking about like who am i that can fit on a grad school application but Mm -hmm. i spent a lot of my time in college doing theater kind of i've acted i've costume designed i was an assistant set designer for courtney smith on dancing at lunasa which was just such a great learning experience so I'm kind of just stumbling my way through the artistic world until I find something that seems to stick. <clears throat> yeah, I've known you and uh, some of the other people on the show will know you as CB sister from Galaxy's God, which that was a really cool show. We talk about a lot on the podcast, uh, John's episode and Carson. Uh, but as of recording this, still not out. <laughs> but uh, eventually when this episode comes out, it'll be out and people should watch that. But uh Aaron was one of the, uh, well, I guess like in that show, there's not like a lead lead. I mean, like CB's the lead, but you're you're kind of like one of the main uh, female characters in the show. So I'm very blessed to have you on here. And I also like you're a good director and dramaturg. And let's see what else you've done. <laughs> Writing, um, some dance, I think. I, I don't know if I've ever seen you dance, but we've also performed together uh, in Hamlet Machine. Nathan Patrick Nelson, shout out to him. Yeah. And then the the most notorious one, I feel like the one that we talk about the most is the time we did aerobics. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say a new season. But yeah, we can talk oh. about aerobics. Uh, well, okay, look, um, <laughs> a new season was an experience. And I was very blessed to have been a perform to perform in the brand new uh, Myrtle Wilson Theater. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> That's a good place to leave it. Yeah, but no aerobics. I, uh, I I'm playing Just Dance right now, and uh, one of the songs from aerobics is come it comes up, and I I swear I I feel like even the dance moves were the same, but I can't remember it that well. But it was Papa Americano. Do you does that like trigger anything for you? I'm gonna be honest. I forgot pretty much everything about that class, and I actually had a really good time while I was doing it, but. No, yeah, doesn't retain choreography. Well, it it isn't that. It's just the song, really. Like I'll I'll hear some songs from aerobics, and I'll be like, "Oh man, this was from the time where I almost died a few times, (laughs) just trying to catch up." And being the only guy in aerobics too, (laughs) which is kind of funny as well. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that's kind of like. So what are you doing now with everything that's kind of like? shutting down because like you said you're um looking up grad school so you're probably not probably i know but the audience doesn't know (laughs) like a junior right now right no i'm a senior so i'm headed off into the wide world at the end of this year it's kind of going to be really strange and, and and different with covid and i'd never really thought about grad school super seriously before um 
But over the summer, I kind of started thinking about it. And, you know, the job market is a little worrying right now anyways. Mm -hmm. But I just, I love school. I love taking classes. I love the opportunity to, like, learn and grow. And I just thought I could do that for another two years and be pretty happy. Um, And so I've been actually looking at grad schools abroad. I'm hoping to go to Ireland or London are some of Mm -hmm. the schools that I'm looking at. But this summer, I've also been doing some research into how to make performing arts and kind of specifically over the summer, choral orchestral music more accessible for deaf and hard of hearing audience. And I've been working on hopefully directing the wolves in the spring of next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that sounds dope. I mean, deaf and hard and hearing like performances. Shout out to Josh Castile, who was on the show. And we kind of talked about that. Uh, and we, we mostly talked about diversity <clears throat> in general. But um, from his experience, it's the deaf actor, hard of hearing experience. <clears throat> Sorry, I, I just woke up a while ago. So I'm like, my body is reacting to the coffee it's it's getting too <laughs> stuff <laughs> it's gonna be a fun time um what was i gonna say i can't believe you're a senior i was like oh my goodness i remember when she was a baby that freshman <laughs> and now she's like ah oh, man she's all grown up now no that makes me feel old it's like the kids i mentor like i, I saw them like what six months ago and talking to some of them on zoom and seeing how tall they already are i'm just like no man <laughs> Like, they're already, like, hitting that. <clears throat> Sorry, God. I swear it's not COVID <laughs> that I'm feeling right now. But uh, seeing some of the kids now, like, on Zoom and stuff, and I'm like, man, your voice is already crackling. You're tall. And I'm like, man, I'm I'm just getting older, man. I'm closer, I'm closer to dying than I ever was before. <laughs> I mean, we, we kind of all are, in a sense. <laughs> Every day we're a little closer. <clears throat> yeah. Um, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, this is Wayward Artists in a Wayward World where each and every Sunday I sit with a wayward artist and we talk about the person that we're thankful for or they're thankful for. It's based on a podcast by Jared Petty called Pockets Full of Soup, where I pretty much kind of stole the whole format of that show. Um, It it was great when it was on. Jared does a few other things. Uh, He has a couple cool podcasts, but he doesn't, I I haven't seen him post a new Pockets Full of Soup in a while. Um, It was very helpful back when it was uh, a thing. And I feel like now with this COVID time, it's it's fun. It's great to reflect positively on the past in order for us to hopefully think positively of the future uh, of all this crazy shit going on. <laughs> um, Aaron, uh, I'm going to ask you the question I ask each and every guest on the show. Uh, tell me someone you're thankful for. Right. So I, you warned me ahead of time that this is going to be the question. And I had to do some thinking on it, but I would say my grandma is probably the person that I'm most thankful for. And she unfortunately mm-hmm. passed away a year mm-hmm. and a couple of but recently I've just been reflecting a lot on my grandma and what she meant for me. And so I think she's the person that I want to talk about today. Awesome. You know, uh, not a lot of grandmothers on this show so far. So uh, I think you're the first one. Um, I remember when that happened. Uh, I guess, I don't know if I was there, but I, did, I think I did give you my sympathies. Um, sure you did. Tell me, yeah, tell me, uh, tell me about her. Who was she? So my grandma's name is Rhea Dobson. And she was a public school teacher for most of her life. Um, she 
grade teacher. Honestly, she's just the most generous person that I ever knew. And I think <laughs> that she really me and taught me and kind of made me who I am today because I got to grow up kind of in her like in her wings I got to see her and how she treated people and she went out of her way to do things for people who less despite the fact that my grandma was you know woman but she spent her time and her money and her effort to help make sure that other people and her students were able to get a good education and I don't know I just I love her so much it's it's hard to talk about someone that that you love and admire without stumbling through the words a little bit you know yeah that's fine I mean like uh that's that's a humanistic trait and this is a storytelling podcast you know um you're allowed to stumble on your words a little bit um I I think I do all the time on this show (laughs) and people seem to enjoy it so far um that's kind of interesting uh having your grandma also be your teacher especially as somebody who didn't like school and didn't like really like his teachers either i can't imagine if my relative was also my teacher well actually <laughs> that's that's a lie i i swear there was a guy who had the same last name as me teach me and we probably are were distantly related because my last name is pretty unique uh even in the saudi world so to an extent, we probably maybe were related, but I wasn't seeing him at the, you know, at the, at the tribe stuff, you know? So that was kind of as close as, as I got to being like, oh, this guy's probably related to me <laughs> and he's teaching me religion, which is an, well, in Saudi Arabia, it's kind of an awful subject, honestly. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, tell me a little bit, like, what did that mean to you to have uh, your grandma be also your teacher? as well like what did that mean like inside the classroom outside the classroom uh that must have been an interesting experience it definitely was and I got to have it two times almost three because both of my parents are teachers as well and so my dad taught me seventh grade and I just missed my mom's class I ended Mm -hmm. up in somebody else's but I was so lucky to have my grandma as my teacher I mean, school teachers have to be there early, right? Like way before Mm -hmm. the students. And she'd pick me up every day and take me to school with her early. Despite like even when it was snowy and my road was really hard to drive up, she'd always come pick me up and she'd let me spend the mornings either helping her set up her class or I could sit and read a book and she would like just give me books all the time. And so I was able to do so much reading and learning just in those couple hours before school. And I feel like we really got to bond because we spent that time together. Um, And Mm -hmm. then when my brother was old enough to go to school, she started taking him early in the mornings, too. And so we all got to kind of be there in the classroom together before anybody else. That's that's really cool. What did she teach? She was a third grade, fourth grade teacher, fourth grade teacher. Yeah. So in Idaho, in fourth grade, you learn indigenous history because our school actually was on Nez Perce land. So one of the things that I thought my school did well, it definitely, definitely could have done better. But you spend a whole year learning about the indigenous culture of the tribe whose land you're on. And we got to go to some of the museums that the tribe has, and we got to attend some of their events. And it was just really cool because my grandma was also my teacher for that unit. Um, We did a lot of reading. 
I don't know. It's really hard to remember fourth grade, but I remember I loved it. Oh, that's good. Uh, at least you have fond memories of fourth grade, unlike most people, <laughs> aka me. <laughs> but um, no, I do remember I... there was this boy I had a crush on in fourth grade, and my grandma let us sit next to each other in class. Oh. But oh he got really mad at me because I was too messy and all of the stuff on my desk kept creeping over onto his desk. And so yeah. he didn't he didn't appreciate that. Normally, I feel like it would be guys usually are the messy ones. <laughs> I know. So... No, I'm such a mess. Yeah. Well, uh, I'm glad things have changed because I don't think you're a mess now. Um, <laughs> I would probably describe you as the opposite. But look at your grandma being a player, you know, like setting y'all up. <laughs> I don't know if she knew, but she probably had a suspicion. <clears throat> yeah, well, that's it's still cute, regardless. Um, I what I loved, what what I thought was interesting, anyway, because you're from Idaho, right? Yes. Um, a lot of stigma behind Idaho. A lot of it's <laughs> uh, true. <laughs> um, but I was kind of shocked when you said that you learned about indigenous cultures in class, mostly because. You kind of had to because the school was built on indigenous land. And I feel like that's something that you don't hear a lot of, at least from my point of view of the world anyway. Like, I didn't know that was a thing that was enforced. I feel like a lot more schools should be doing that. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not saying they did a perfect job because you learn about it in fourth grade and you don't hear much about it after that. But mm -hmm. the school did a good job, at least in in that fourth grade setting of of really like I think I mean obviously I don't remember it perfectly it's fourth grade but we got to meet people who were in the tribe they had this kind of they held a traditional powwow that had an open attendance and so some of the schools would bring their students to just go watch and observe and see like the traditional demonstrations of culture um, and obviously I think they could have taught colonialism a lot better but we did get to learn about some of the authentic traditions from the Nez Perce tribe and so I think that 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 was a really unique experience mm -hmm. yeah I mean like as a kid too like you say you don't uh, remember a lot of fourth grade but you, you do remember that experience and how impactful it is and knowing you personally anyway like you're totally interested in like social justice and you know i i see you post about black lives matter and you know we worked on a play that was essentially um dealt with a lot of issues as well so uh, i feel like it, it probably like do you think maybe it impact the way you view the world in some way like in some small way obviously probably not in like a small way i'm sure i got really lucky <clears throat> in the family that i came from and the fact that i even felt empowered and had the support to kind of go to college out of state, which I think really kind of framed my worldview. But my family is not what I would say is like your traditional Idaho family. They're very, they're very caring people. Mm -hmm. I think my mom cares a lot about social justice issues. And my grandmother just cared a lot about about people in general and didn't want to have to see any of her students suffer or be held back because of any trait that they can't really control. Um, and so I think that my family kind of drilled that into me more than anything else. And mm -hmm. then I got to go to college out of state and I got to learn so much. And I feel like having that foundation and the ability to go get higher education framed my worldview a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of does for everybody, too, because when you're in college, you're kind of by yourself. 
and you're kind of an adult, but you're not really, but you're developed enough to like, uh, start thinking about the world in different points of view. At least I hope you do. Like, don't be one of those people that like parties all the time and probably doesn't really remember <laughs> college because yeah, which it would be a bummer if you did, you know, um, going back to your grandma, how long did you have her as your teacher? She only taught me for one year, but she still drove me to school every day. Cause I don't know if you know this about me, but my high school was incredibly small and it was actually connected to the elementary school. So it was like a K through 12. School. Oh. And so like, I got to see my parents and my grandmother basically every day, even when I was in high school and junior high, because we were all in the same building. So sometimes I would eat lunch in my grandma's room if I was having like a bad day. I think she retired when I was in junior high. Okay. That's... I was still really involved. Oh, that's dope. I didn't know that you could do that. <laughs> like, meshing all the grades together. I mean, I guess if you're coming from a small place. Did you say exactly, like, where you're from in Idaho? The name of the town is Weipe. It's We describe it as where the panhandle of the state meets the pan. It's north central, about three and a half hours from Spokane. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. There, I love that. there are 400 people in it. And my school was actually a combination of two towns. So there's a town called Pierce, about 15 minutes away from Weipe. And the school was right in the middle of both Weipe and Pierce. And they all sent their students there. Okay. So at least it was a little big <laughs> with, like, the other town kind of meshed in there. But, God, 400 people. That must have been crazy <laughs> i don't i like i i can't handle the small crowd of spokane coming from saudi arabia it was like the place that i lived was like the big city like your seattle metropolitan area like maybe not as big but like it was a city and coming even here to spokane and seeing the same people every day it's just sometimes it drives me crazy a little bit i'll be honest <laughs> see i had the opposite experience spokane just felt so big and so overwhelming to me. <laughs> There's so many people. Yeah, but like you came from a place that had 400 people. I, I'm going to look up the population of where I was from. Uh, but like, yeah, 400 people is like, yeah, of course it would be. Yeah, there's like 3 million people in Jeddah where I'm from. <laughs> so like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine 3 million people in one city. Yeah, so it, it's there's a lot of people in there and it's it's a pretty small city too. So, uh, well, a lot of them kind of migrate over to the holy city because it's pretty close. So you get kind of a lot of like a mixed bunch. But yeah, it, it was definitely a small town. Spokane, I don't think has 3 million people here either. Oh, I'm sure it doesn't. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah. So what are some good memories that you had about your grandma that you wanted to really talk about? There are a few. I remember, so the schools didn't used to always be together. Until I was in second grade, the schools were separate. Mm -hmm. And when I was in second grade, I still used to go to school early with my grandma in the mornings. And there was this boy who really just had a bad home life. But I was too young to kind of understand that at the time. Mm -hmm. And every morning when we showed up at the school at like 645, and school doesn't start until 8. He would be sitting on the steps of the school, just like waiting for somebody to let him in because he didn't want to be at home anymore. And even in the winter, which gets nasty in Idaho, freezing cold, he would be there. 
And I remember my grandma pointed out to me that this boy like felt like he couldn't be in home and had to sit there because his home life was dangerous. Mm. And I remember I noticed that he had no gloves on, even in the winter. He was just so cold. And so my grandma noticed that I had noticed that. And she took me to Costco and I spent my own money on, on gloves for him. Mm. And I, I remember that as a really formative memory of like, you, you don't, come out knowing what to do like you're not born with a sense of morals I don't think you have to like learn those and be taught those Mm -hmm. and that was like the moment that I remember my grandma taught me like hey you have to care for other people and if somebody doesn't have something and you have the resources to help them have it then you should I was lucky. There were people in my town who just, like, I had a great supportive family who are able to pay for me to go to college and who were able to teach me and to take me places and show me that not everybody in the world is like me, but some people in my town just never have those opportunities. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's, I I like what you said that, you know, prejudice and all that, like, it's not something that we kind of come out of the womb knowing it's something that's kind of taught to us and it seemed like your mom oh sorry your grandma like really like showed you sympathy there yeah it kind of reminds me of a few other stories where i was a kid and i got to see some of that as well um one kid in particular and this was a like it was kind of tragic in the sense that i'm an idiot (laughs) but um there was this little girl and her mom like her mom was a beggar and she was sitting outside the Baskin Robbins. Like she, she's, she told me like, Hey kid, I really don't want any money. I just was hoping that you can buy my daughter some ice cream, you know? And I was like, sure. So I took her inside and I <clears throat> had her pick out like a type of ice cream that she wants. And oh God, I God, I was so bad. Like the reason why I'm like an idiot was because like after I bought the ice cream, I forget to like, uh, this is a toddler, by the way. I forget to, like, open the door for, for her. Like, I, I kind of, even I don't leave the door open. And, like, this door kind of, like, smacks her. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. I feel like an idiot. And then I, I, I help her up. And then the ice cream, it fell on the floor. And <gasps> no. It was like, yeah, I think the mom picked it up eventually. But it was like, ah, oh, man. Like, this is all, like, it, this is typical me, you know? Like, I do good. And then just fumble on the way, but in a charming way, not a not a bad negative thing. <laughs> but um, and then I also remember like another kid coming up to me and being like, "Hey, uh, my my family needs food." You know, it was just a kid. There was no mom or dad or anything like that. So I had like the equivalent of like twenty dollars in my pocket. So, but at the time that uh, that was a lot of money for me, and I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna go and buy you some rice let's go together um the sad thing was like that kid came up to me another time and asked for food and i was like i don't have any money to like feed you again like that you know um but yeah empathy is it's a hard thing especially like when kids are involved like even now i'm just like oh man i i can't stand seeing it like a kid suffer yeah and be in that situation because I remember a time where, you know, and <clears throat> I, 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 there was a lot of stuff that was going on in my home, but I was never like homeless or, uh, 
scrape, scraping off like the end, like ends me or whatever. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like struggling in that sense, but emotionally I was struggling and knowing how bad I felt in that moment, I was like, I can't imagine other people feeling that way. And so what your grandma did like even there it was just like it just remind it brought up back all these memories and when, when you said that yeah this is something that you're taught it's like and learned it's like yeah absolutely i feel like a lot more people need a lesson in empathy yeah i'm i feel like i am just so privileged that i had the family that is is supportive and took the time and had the time to really teach me how to be a good person or you know what they think a good person is and and not everybody really has the time and energy to do that with their kids Mm -hmm. which which is that's a wild concept right (laughs) like you don't have the time and energy to like uh, bring up the next generation that you brought into this world by force into like doing good like you don't have time to do that like that's so crazy you know, like, I don't know. But some people just, they have to, like, work all the time to survive. And sometimes surviving is more important or feels more important than, you know, making sure that your children are going to be good people. <clears throat> that's, I think that's still a little bit, like, and again, coming from my own background where we also struggled monetarily. And there were times where I wouldn't even see, like, my own dad and there was a time also my mom wasn't in the picture either. So it was like, but like my dad always still taught us like how to be good people. You know, I just, yeah, especially like with this COVID stuff, it's like, um, I think I mentioned it earlier on, like this, this uh, coronavirus stuff is um, a new lesson on empathy. It's testing our, uh, our empathetic skill set, you know, and it's pushing us to the extreme for real um but yeah i can see where i could see where you mean though where you know sometimes the, the parents aren't in kids life sometimes which again why would you have children <laughs> if uh, you're well, not going to be there for them it's like i don't know i was... no, not everybody has equal access to health care or can make the concerted choice to have children mm-hmm. sometimes it just happens yeah yeah i guess you're right in that aspect too like, yeah, I've heard a few stories where, you know, unexpected pregnancies and stuff like that, which, you know, it I, it happens. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of weird <laughs> when you uh, talk to other people and hear their perspectives and you learn that your point of view of the world is much different than everyone else's, which again, you, uh, a lot of people live in their own bubble and don't really like breach out. So it's it is definitely interesting and it's hard to wrap your head around sometimes but you know people live different lives yeah i feel like whenever i talk about idaho it just it doesn't compute for people sometimes you know because it's such a different world in a small town it's very much like i would describe it as kind of living in the past in Mm -hmm. a weird way and it's not that everybody is necessarily choosing to live in the past it's that new ideas and new resources haven't spread to those areas yet i mean i didn't really get like good internet service until i was in junior high i didn't get cell service where i lived until i was like a junior in high school so Mm -hmm. how do people access new ideas if they don't have 
broadband access? How do people like learn and grow and have empathy for others who look different than them when they've never seen someone who looks different from them? Mm-hmm. It's just a really interesting like time capsule of a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head with like my experience in Saudi Arabia. It's like it's a whole different I mean, yeah, it's a whole different country, obviously, but like the culture is like different there. Like it's a, first of all, it's a monarchy, you know, Right. that even that is just like, that's a whole different and even political system over there. So just to talk about my experience and <laughs> like people sympathizing with it and like, oh man, that must've sucked and everything. Like, man, you don't understand how, how terrible <laughs> it was, you know, in, in, in a lot of aspects, like you, you will never know, like how what i went through uh to some extent and when i do talk there's people that i know that have experienced what i have and i i i talk to them about it all the time it's like yeah it's fucked up and we do talk about like how other people you know while they they are sympathetic like they will never get it because they'll never live in that type of situation in those conditions and i feel like that maybe even even in our own like American circle here, like there's a lot of people who are like that too, where, you know, like that kid with who didn't have any gloves, who was waiting outside. Like, um, I'm kind of curious, have you ever spoken to him or th- th- that kid? Here's the thing. I don't know if you want me to tell that story on your podcast because it uh, does not have a happy ending. Um, well, you know, this is a real podcast. Like we tell real stories um, about the people we're thankful for. And, you know, if you feel like this is something that will add value to something like that, um, go ahead. <laughs> or if you want to. I mean, it does kind of fall into what we were talking about, about just like a different world. But yeah, I was why, too young to really understand everything that was happening at the time. But my grandma found out that he was getting abused at home. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of fought for him to be like removed from his household. And he ended up getting adopted by a really nice couple in that other town in Pierce. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did have just like such a bad childhood mm-hmm. and he wasn't really able to recover from that mental health wise. And he ended up taking his own life when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's sad. You know, it's like just, it's one of those things where there's no not a lot of resources in small towns and his new family was so great and they loved him so much. And he just like, he had a couple of years that were a lot better than what he grew up with, but that, not mm-hmm. everybody can recover from traumas in their childhood. Yeah. And especially like in a small town where, like you said, like there's not a lot of resources where uh, somebody could, you know, get the help that they need. Um, it's hard, you know, um, at least the last couple of years of his life were, good but you know i think as a kid you always have that fight or flight mode of being like you know when, when is this all going to be taken away from me when is this all gonna flip you know because i like not to make an assumption about this person but maybe like the beginning years of his life were pretty good until maybe something until something just bad happened to him you know like, again that's an assumption and it's kind of based on my own kind of experiences as well like my parents divorced for example and i remember the earlier years of my life being relatively happy like it was relatively great but then it got to that divorce and 
I don't really remember a lot from those years because of a lot of the the trauma. Like if you told me like the early 2000s, like what was going on, I was just like, I just felt like I existed because <laughs> like <laughs> I'm right here right now. I'm alive. But like if you wanted me to put together like happy memories, like it's a little bit hard to do, you know? Um, yeah. yeah. No, I get it. I don't really I can't speak 100 percent to what was happening in his life, but I just remember that the last time I spoke to him, we ended up sitting together at a football game and I gave him some of my food, not because he was hungry, but because we were just like hanging out, sharing. And Mm. that's like the last real memory I have of him. But unfortunately, like where I live, mental health isn't a thing where there are resources to help you take care of it. And there were quite a few people who ended up like taking their own life. It's, it's one of those states that has huge gun rate per capita, mm-hmm. which weirdly enough hasn't resulted in any like mass shootings, but there's such a high suicide rate in Idaho. It's just mm-hmm. like it can be a really isolating place. And I don't want to just like talk shit on where I grew up, because like I said, you know, my grandmother and the people that I grew up with really made me who I am. And I feel like I turned out pretty OK, but there are things that definitely greatly affect people especially people from a marginalized background who just don't have the resources there mm-hmm. could you repeat that last part you kind of uh, cut in and out oh sorry yeah like i don't want to like just make it sound negative but there are aspects of idaho where it's like things things that i might have had the support and the privilege to get through people from a more marginalized background probably wouldn't have easily found those supports or been offered those supports. And so I feel like there are a lot of issues, especially for people of marginalized backgrounds. Yeah. And it seemed like your grandma knew, like she helped that little, like she helped that little boy get out of that um, awful situation as well. And it's kind of funny, (laughs) like, because it reminds me of dogs is God, the play that we did. And it kind of makes sense now you a little bit like how much your grandma has influenced you into like helping other people and just by hearing that story and seeing how it imprinted on you in that way yeah I mean that show was sensitive for me for a number (laughs) of reasons but you know I was I was really proud that we got to put that performance out on the stage and I came out of it with a lot of really close friendships and I feel like in a way doing that show helped me work through some of my own things in my background and CB it was a really fun role to play just in general yeah it was uh it was a lot of fun seeing you in that role too because I think I think I told you too like I I had a different perspective of like who this character was going to be and when you brought it down into the like the room and talked about it i was like dang like she, she knows th- like obviously she knows this character more, more than me because she's the actress but she's giving me like this whole new perspective that i actually really like and it changed my whole opinion about her you know um that just makes you a great actress <laughs> i'm glad i <laughs> but, uh, to find on cv's sister yeah and i was grateful for that i don't i don't know uh, i don't think anybody could have done it like, and I say that because I only, I've only seen your performance of CB sister and I'm biased, <laughs> but, um, uh, no, nah, you did a really good job with that. 
we talk about on the show too how like how important it was for my career to do that show like that you know i learned a lot you know i you know i probably like did a lot of good things for that show a few bad things too uh, but like yeah i i'm glad that was the show that i decided it um shaped the person that i am today and what i want to do in my mission for theater and so I'll always be grateful for it. I almost got, I, I was almost planning to get a tattoo of oh, a little squ- squiggly like on my my hand because <laughs> I think it would be <laughs> kind of cool. You know the choreographer got a tattoo for that show, right? What? Ruby? Yeah. She never told What kind of tattoo did she get? Uh she got a little butterfly for my my platypus dance choreography. Oh my goodness. Uh, because it was the first dance that she's ever choreographed. Oh my god! I, I, I was, it was uh, a whole metaphor of like cocooning and coming out not as a butterfly but as a platypus. Ah, uh, dude, I, I butterfly. I am crying right now. <laughs> like I had no idea. Like that. Ah, uh, that. Uh, I'm like blown away a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I. She never told me that. Like, dang. Like. I knew I knew like it impacted her a lot because you know like we still collaborate and we were going to do the playwright form together that I was going to do with my grant and um I gave her a good recommendation to Jerry Shario shout out to Jerry um director in the community and actor like I gave her a really good recommendation because I sincerely love Ruby uh, Ruby Lingino shout out to Ruby we'll have her on the show eventually but um uh, for you to say that like <laughs> oh my god i was like i'm like i almost bald i'm trying to like keep my composure <laughs> now like that i mean uh, that was another it, really good thing that came out of the show for me is getting to work really closely with mm-hmm. ruby on choreography i feel like we had a much stronger friendship after that yeah you know that, that was the other dummy thing that i did for doxy's god was like to never like oh hold on one second did i are, am i still there yeah i can hear you okay yeah because I went to check on a notification on my phone and I thought it canceled stuff. Anyway, because um, like initially I was like, ah, oh, man, I don't know who's going to choreograph all this stuff. Who's going to choreograph? Who's going to choreograph? And then um, I don't know if Ruby raised her hand, but like I eventually like, wait a second, Ruby, you you know how to choreograph. And she was like, thank God you told you said something. <laughs> <laughs> because like I think she was like waiting for me to be like yeah Ruby you should choreograph as well uh, but I guess also in my mind I was like I didn't want her to do too much but since she was so willing to do it I was like you know what why not I, I need a choreographer right now <laughs> and she's my uh like not to say this in a bad way but like she's just like my only option right now and boy it was a good option um very good very I just, like, I can't believe she got a tattoo for a show that I did. Like, oh, my God. Like, that's going to stay on her body forever. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's so fucking crazy. Like, ah, uh, to be, rem- like, ah, uh, I'm going to, you ch- you just, like, you just ruined the whole show, Aaron, because, like, now I want to talk about this tattoo. Because, like, <laughs> for the longest time, I just felt, like, alone, you know? Like, no one really gives a shit about me, like, for since I was like even little, you know, and to realize as I've grown up right now, like being 27 
and realizing like that's not the case like there are people who care and you know we have all these people on the podcast even even, like Kayla Fontana which by the time this episode will come out like her episode will come out like the person that she was thankful for she talked about me Aaron like I was like and how much I pushed her into the direction that direction that she was going like she got into NTI because of me and through NTI she was able to go to NYU like and this was a girl who was coming from you know being defeated consistently in theater but like me being able to like hey you you have the drive like you have potential here you just need support and to be pushed and I don't know and then the tattoo it's like you know like even when I die (laughs) Which I'll probably die before Ruby, honestly, like because I'm much older. <laughs> but like that tattoo is going to be a memory of like not just Doxy's God and your uh, experience with her and stuff like that, but like that's going to be a memory of me like forever. And I'm just like that's so crazy to think like I was able to facilitate that show. And I say me, but like it was a whole group effort. You know, it's not just me. Who did like who's the reason why it was so successful? God, thank you for telling me that. Because now when I when I bring her on this podcast, I'm gonna like roast her a little bit because she never told me this. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, are you still there? Oh, I'm still there. I I was I, I was. Uh, oh, my phone had a weird sound, and I thought it hung up. Oh, that's fine. I was waiting for you to respond, <laughs> or like if you had oh. something. Then. Yeah, no, I just, it's, it's, it's sweet. I feel like, I, you know, I came out of that show with a lot of really close connections, like John and Carson and Sh- Sean and Ruby were just, you know, they were also great to work with. And I only list those people because I had scenes with them, but everybody else in the cast was incredible too. And just so talented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, and not to talk about the show uh, as much as we have already, but I, I learned a lot and I was really grateful that we were able to do it. And yeah. it changed my life. That's, I'll say it. <laughs> um, going back to grandma now. And then, like, maybe grandma and your connection to theater. Like, how were you introduced to theater? And, like, kind of maybe, like, what was her, um, what was her experience like with theater? Like, uh, was she ever, was she involved in theater? Or was, was your family involved in theater? Like, essentially, how did you get involved in theater? Yeah. Is what I'm trying to ask. <laughs> Uh, well, when I was a kid, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of, like, a melodrama, mm-hmm. but my town used to do these two plays a year, and one of them was called The Hee Haw, and it was based off of this, like, old country western TV show, and it basically was a series of bits, and the bits just shifted slightly every year, and so it was kind of, like, the same thing every year, but, like, slightly different. Mm-hmm. And then the second play that they would do would be, like, and I don't remember exactly how I got involved, but I was a talker when I was now. And my dad took me to one of the melodrama auditions, and they ended up casting both me and my dad. And my dad played, like, the doctor, and I was, like, the cute little kid that gets kidnapped, you know? <laughs> um, and so we did those for a couple of years until I started playing sports. And then in high school, that was the first year of our high school drama program was my first year. So we weren't very good. Um, we tried really hard, but we were kind of terrible. But people from that freshman year class that 
were part of the first theater program at Timberline that are still kind of doing theater to this day. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think that I was going to do it in college. I wanted to play on the club basketball team, mm-hmm. actually. And I went to the tryouts for the club basketball team. And I kind of made the team, but I had an evening class during one of their practices. And so they were basically like, look, like we want you. You can play with us, but you kind of have this thing during our practice. So if you could like come back in the spring when you don't have an evening class, that would be great. And in the time between that then and the spring, I ended up getting involved in the theater department with PJ Seberger, my roommate and I were in this randomly assigned freshman year theater class and we ended up going to every set of auditions together until we got cast and I forgot to ever come back to do (laughs) yeah um before we get into it um you're kind of cutting a little bit in and off it's still comprehensible it's just making you sound like a robot um do you, would it be all right if you went inside, perhaps? It might solve that. I can that. try. My roommates were cooking breakfast, so it was, like, a little loud. Oh, okay. Um, if you want. Is this any yeah. better? Um, we'll see. Uh, I'll point it out during the show. This isn't really a professionally run show, so, like, we're just uh, shooting the shit. So we're all good. Um, yeah, that it's amazing how that college experience uh, you got in theater because – you were in. Uh, Do you remember Noche de Arte, del Arte? Yeah, that wasn't actually my first thing. My first thing oh. was uh, the directing one scenes with Kevin oh. McCarthy, who Gosh. introduced me to art. Um, mm-hmm. And that's how I started doing doing that. But I was first in one of the directing one scenes with Kevin. Yeah, okay. Then I guess, yeah, the timeline right there makes sense. I think art did his... A little later in the semester. Um, that's how we met <laughs> initially. Yeah. And then I don't know like how we got close, but I think we just got close during aerobics, <laughs> which uh, that was pretty much it. But then also there was Hamlet Machine, which we were in as well. That, that was an experience for all of us involved, for sure. It was a fun time. Um, but yeah, when, did, when was the moment where you thought like, yeah, I think I'm going to do this theater thing, like for real? I don't know if there's ever been that moment. I mean, I'm still doing theater. I love doing theater. But I remember having this conversation with Leslie where she was like, hey, you don't have to decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. You just have to decide what you want to do now and maybe what you want to do next year. And I want to be doing theater now and I probably want to be doing theater next year. But I don't know if I've ever really made up uh, my mind to do anything for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That's, I mean, like, uh, that's a good, that's a good place to start. I feel like people who have all these plans, I mean, like, they're great and everything, but it's also, it can be a source of, like, stress because, yeah, you know, what if, yeah, like, what if uh, such and such doesn't fall through? You know, it's crazy to me that uh, a lot of parents throw their kids into college freshman year and they have to decide, like, oh, yeah, this is where I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And I'm like, man, that's not how it goes, man. That's why you do the, your your random general curriculum, and then you kind of go from there. Which it sounds dumb when you're a, a student in college, you know, like the, AKA me. That I, I thought it was dumb, <laughs> <laughs> but um, it makes sense as I've matured and saw it from a different point of view. Because um, yeah. I remember, I remember freshman year, I was like, I mean, I'm going to take all the theater stuff and all the stuff that I like to do 
first. And then I was stuck senior year doing all the shitty stuff, essentially, and not doing any theater classes, except senior project two was like my only thing that I was doing. And I was kind of doing it uh, under the table because I wasn't exactly registered for that class because I already read it. Um, but oh, where's it going to go with this? Um, did your grandma ever, before she passed, ever see any of your shows? You know, I don't think she ever saw any of my GU shows, but she came to every single thing I did in high school. Oh, cool. What was your like fondest it's like high a three school play? Oh, um, my senior year, I played, we did a lot of uh, theater for audiences in my high school, just because, you know, we were a combined high school, elementary school. And so we would put on performances for like the elementary school kids. And it was just like a nice family friendly kind of dinner theater experience. Mm -hmm. So we just did a ton of like TYA stuff. But my senior year, we did this production that was kind of like a hybrid of Alice in Wonderland and um, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. I think that was my senior year. And I got to play Alice, which was really fun. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I was like, I was the lead, although, you know, there was, I was not great. I was not the most talented. I could memorize lines mm -hmm. and i had free time to do it so i'm not trying to hype myself up here but it was just fun and my best friend from high school was in that show is the mad hatter and it was it was just it was really fun mm -hmm. yeah i mean like uh at that age like you don't need to worry about being good you know like as long as you had fun like that's the important part yeah and i'm probably messing up the details of this show because i do not remember like the show itself but I just remember getting to do a play with a lot of my friends and it went pretty well and all my family was there and I just felt happy about it like happy to be doing the thing yeah that's great I mean um theater for youth theater for youth is great especially like if it's done really good and done really right with the intent of like bringing up children's voices and being exposing them to like theater um, I think if it does that, like, then it's it's a fun time. It doesn't really uh, warrant, like, a harsh, like, critique from a snob, you know? Like, I've seen a few productions um, at the uh, the youth stuff for the Civic Theater. They're, why can't I remember their program? The Academy. Yeah, that's what it was called. <laughs> um, I remember seeing those shows. And, yeah, it wasn't, like, Broadway. It wasn't even, like up to the like whatever the community theater standards here is either but it it was fun the kids obviously like had fun on stage and it was really well done and i enjoyed it and as long as the kids had a good time and there wasn't any like trauma <laughs> from doing the show, like <laughs> hey that's great <laughs> like i i support yeah. that yeah i mean i just i was really lucky and that the, the my family was really encouraging about it. And my grandma, especially, she wasn't so concerned with like me being a doctor or a lawyer or a scientist. She just wanted me to do something that I loved. And I can always feel her looking over me mm -hmm. when I make the choice to do something that I love and create art. Mm -hmm. And speaking of like her looking over you, um, I'm kind of curious because you mentioned at the beginning of the show 
how she has influenced you during this hard time, even though she's not with you here anymore. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like in what ways has she like influenced you? Well, I think that I've talked so much about how much of a caring person that my grandma was, but Mm -hmm. she also was very courageous in telling the truth. Like I would say she was a very honest person and she found a way to balance both that honesty with being really nice and empathetic. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that's where we're at with this pandemic. You know, you have to be willing to tell people, Hey, it makes me uncomfortable when you're behaving like this, or I don't feel comfortable with xyz thing Mm -hmm. but also have empathy for that person and where they're coming from so and that's something that she well uh, and that's something that she taught you like early on in your life i really saw as an example in her yeah especially like also she was just a great cook and i've been doing a lot of her recipes in the quarantine because Mm -hmm. what else is there to do besides take two hours to make dinner yeah, I uh, I can always stay in touch with her. I've been cooking a lot too, and just a lot of recipes I find online and stuff like that. And I really like cooking's like my second passion. Like I always say, like if this theater thing never works out, I always imagine myself being like a chef of some sort. I love food. Um, I also like the movie Chef as well. <laughs> um, That's so- Movie. It was a really good movie. Uh, I need to see it again because I don't really remember it too well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, and especially like uh, standing up for yourself and having that voice. It's so important now, nowadays with everything that's going on. And we could talk about COVID all we want, but there's also like the Black Lives Matter movement and how prominent it's been this year more than other years like black lives have always mattered of course but i feel like this was the year where it was pretty much it's really gotten a lot of traction and support um and it's important to have like allies uh like that to raise people up and give them a platform to speak and i think with theater like we have the capability of doing that as well like we have those tools and if we're not using it to uplift others, then like, what's the point? You know, like that's what art right. supposed to do. Yeah. Art is, it's just supposed to tell the stories of those who might not necessarily see their stories elsewhere, I think. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that we can see a push for more diverse theater at Gonzaga. I know it's always a little bit of a struggle because Gonzaga is, student body population isn't super diverse but I remember last last year two years ago there was a student who really like took it upon herself to direct a show that showed a diverse narrative and cast according to race in the script which you know she had to work hard to find those actors but you can't do the show without those actors and because of her effort and her commitment to lifting up black voices, we were able to do a short 10 minute production of sweat. And I really admired that from her. Yeah. Jen. And I hope we can see more of that in the future. Yeah. I love Jen. Shout out to Jen. Another person I would love to have on the show. Um, Yeah. I, I I remember she was said like, she was going to do sweat as like her 10 minute scene. I was like, Oh, okay. Um, It's going to be really hard trying to find uh, people, but you know, she believed that she could do it. And I, like, I fully supported it for sure. Um, 
So I'm glad that she was able to find those people. Um, we just need like more diverse theater in general in Spokane uh, for sure. But like also Gonzaga does need that too. Um, I think Doxy's God also was kind of like a reason for that too. I mean, uh, we had a lot of interesting people from a bunch of different backgrounds for that show, which uh, I was grateful for. And, you know, having someone like Bethany Montgomery and getting to know her, shout out to Bethany um, and getting to know her and her movement and stuff like that and getting close to her. And then afterwards seeing what she's been able to do. It's like, I'm really glad that at least I had an, like an impact as well. I feel like and not to brag about myself. You can totally disagree with me <laughs> if you, if you don't think so, but I think, I tried really hard to, you know, make it a different experience that you, you normally wouldn't get at Gonzaga. Yeah, it was a, it was a, the narrative itself told a really complicated story that definitely lifted up some voices that don't always get heard. Mm-hmm. I think we, I think that was the same year. Was that the same year or was it the year before we did the vagina monologues? It was. Also, I it think was. did a good job lifting up diverse voices. It was the same year. Yeah, I remember because it was uh, around February still. <laughs> and uh, just seeing the Magnuson that year uh, being filled up, which you normally don't get to see. Like, it was it was cu- quite a feat to see so many people uh, see the vagina monologues uh, that time. I don't think I've ever seen that space, except for ACTF, um, which... That doesn't really count because <laughs> there's a lot of people coming to the festival anyway. So, yeah, right. most likely it's going to get filled up because there's going to be a lot of people who want to see those shows. But, um, yeah, I think that was the first time, like, school-wise, I've ever seen that space filled. I mean, granted, Jesus Christ, Superstar, but I don't know. That was, like, 10 years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I wasn't here for that. I I was. I kind of – I always regret never auditioning for that show because I feel – in my bones that I can do, I, I could play those parts. And I wish baby Sid was like, not such a fucking warrior all the time. And just like do it because I pretty, I'm pretty sure I could have gotten in, but I was like, no, nah, man, I don't know. I don't want to be in this play. That's about Jesus and singing, <laughs> <laughs> which it turns out it's a lot more than that. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But, uh, Let's see here, six sixty-four. Um, trying to think of what else to say. There's a lot. Um, There's so many directions we could go. Yeah, where do you want to go, Aaron? Oh gosh. Is there something that about? Is there something about your grandma that we haven't talked about yet? Like, or you want to talk about? I mean, there is like a slight direction. I feel like. I don't want to say this wrong. I always worry that things are going to come out not the way I want them to sound. But mm-hmm. I feel like as someone who's white, I don't have like a connection, like a deep connection to a culture. You know, and I feel like that's something that I've I've missed. And I feel like it's something that most of us miss a little bit and that we we lose our cultural roots. And one of the things I was so thankful for with my grandmother was that she was from Ireland and she was able to I mean she wasn't like from Ireland first generation but a couple generations back and she was able to teach me some things about her culture and just impart little bits of that from what she remembered of it into me and that's kind of inspiring my grad school search a little bit because 
I just I feel a, a sense of loss or a sense of lacking in that I don't ha- have that connection with my with my cultural heritage. And so I'd really like to end up doing grad school in Ireland. And I feel like it would be a great way to kind of put me in deeper connection with both my roots and with my family, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, I know we uh, a lot of people always make the joke that like white people don't have any culture. But like, we all come from a different background. We all come from different like like we mentioned earlier like all 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 our stories and voices are different to to an extent i mean granted a lot of cultures are suppressed you know like black culture and you know a lot of brown culture and asian culture and stuff like that but you know like white people do have culture like they have family that uh, have a whole history a rich rich stories and stuff like that and as somebody who didn't really feel like initially that i connected to either of like, you know, my American heritage or my Arabic culture, like, I always felt like an outsider to both. Like, it was really, like you said, like, I felt kind of lost in that aspect. And then it took a long time for me to, like, sit down and reflect exactly, like, why I felt that way. And it was because, like, I'm trying to choose, like, one over the other, when in reality, like, I'm both, you know, (laughs) like, I'm both those things. And that what that's what makes me different. And the way I interpret things and the people that I let into my life, like, that's part of my culture that I'm cultivating, you know, like, my theater troupe and my theater, like the theater people that I know, like my little network is, you know, that that, that's like, that's my family, you know, like these people that uh, are working just as hard as me to try to figure out like what they want to do with this this talent like this gift that we all have like it's i I feel like and again like i could be totally wrong also it's like it's it's kind of like a culture too where there are habits and there are things to know and there are traditions uh within theater specifically that you know i try to dismantle (laughs) just like i do with my actual arabic hair of my arabic culture because there's a lot about the Arabic culture, like, yeah, it's great. There's, like, you know, it's about family and stuff like that. And uh, there's food and the language, but there's also stigmatism about, like, sexuality and prejudice against other races, specifically in Saudi Arabia. Like, you see that so much, like, racism. And, like, is very prevalent in that country, like, despite, like, maybe other people will say otherwise. But, you know, I've seen it there. And, I was kind of a part of that culture as well. And that's not good. And so for me, it's always been, I've always been trying to craft my identity to my beliefs and bringing in people who, you know, like have those ideology, the same ideologies as me. And um, I think it's important to know that, you know, the culture and the life that you created, that's like, that's on you. You know, that that's what you're creating for you. And it's great that you want to tap into your Irish heritage and get to know where your grandma comes from and get a sense of like who you are as a person. But I think it's also important to know that you have all this experience and all this life and all these things that you've done. Like that's part of who you are as well as a person and the people that you surround yourself with, the people that you love and care about, your friends, your family, like the people that you decide to let in like they're a part of that uh th- this life that you're creating for yourself too 
I don't know. I felt like I word vomited there. <laughs> if any of that makes sure. sense, or if you want to dispute that, I like, think uh... it yeah, you definitely got to a good place with that, and I think you're right in that. It's not that that culture is everything, or that I'm not happy with my life because I don't feel connected to my roots. I just, I wonder if I would feel a little bit more complete or connected to my family and my heritage. But of course, I'm so thankful for the people that are in my life. And I'm so thankful for the activities and the things that I have the privilege to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's really made me who I am as a person mm-hmm. as well. I mean, I haven't even talked about my mom. And I feel like, you know, my grandma just raised this generation of strong women. And my mom's been through so much in the last year with family members dying. And even though my grandma's gone, I've really been able to look up to my mom and how she is handling herself and handling all of the stresses that have kind of been thrust upon her. And in a way, that's kind of like my heritage as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And your mom's kind of like uh, the mini version of your grandma, you know, like cause she, she is a little uh, bit. Yeah. So I can understand like the impact of like a mom, like, like a daughter losing her mother, you know, like, and you know, like grandparents, like at least for me, like it was sad. Yeah when I I lost all my grandparents when I was young. So I never, I never really connected with them. There was one in particular that I had a strong connection to that, you know, because of family, whatever, like bullshit, I never really got to say goodbye to her after she she had passed, you know, Um, it's, I don't know where I was going with that. (laughs) I, I lost my thought, but I think it's great. Like, let's, let's go back to your Irish heritage. Um, like I think it's great that you want to do that. I think I think it is important for everybody to kind of know where they come from. And for a lot of people there is a sense of like uh loss or you know not really sure um how they fit into this big crazy world. <laughs> and people are consistently feeling that and it's not just like a white person thing. Like yeah, I even I've made probably the joke like, oh yeah, white people don't got no culture. Like they don't have all these things, but in reality, like um, everybody is trying to figure out where they belong into this world and like good people and bad people like are trying to figure all that out. And I, I commend you for that, especially like with your research as well and looking into Irish culture, which I, I don't see a lot of in theater. I mean, we did have dancing at Lunessa as like, an Irish, it was an Irish play and it had a lot of Irish music in it, but, um, not really from, not really. If you told me like, Hey, do you know any Irish uh, plays, Sid? And I would be like, nah, not really. (laughs) I've got to do some more research myself, but dancing at Luna said it was beautiful. The cast was great. Mm -hmm. I was so lucky to get to work on that play. And in a way I feel like that kind of re-sparked my interest in Irish culture I was really interested in it as a kid because I heard my grandma say a few things. Mm-hmm. And I remember, like, I bought this book of mythology to to read of Irish myths. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I just... I mean, I, I do want to state that there there is a white culture. And unfortunately, it's one of privilege. Oh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah. Oh, sorry. I'm oh, not- that's fine. Uh, I... I'm glad you acknowledge that too, because, you know, like we talk about, yeah, white people do have privilege, but 
you know, a lot of the stuff that white people have built upon is kind of like on the backs of uh, people who are underrepresented and, you know, people who uh, like had their cultures dismantled, like, you know, Native Americans and Black people and, uh, you know, exactly. and stuff like that. So it's good that and you're not that thing too. That, that I should or am able to take pride in. Like, you shouldn't be proud of white culture. That's not a thing that you should feel connected to. It's a thing you should actively try to disconnect yourself from. Mm-hmm. But yet that doesn't mean that I don't want to have a culture. It means that I want to get more in touch with with my sort of ancestral roots, as you might say, yeah, I guess. Exactly. And and it's kind of like what we talked about before. Like your culture or like the stuff that you kind of cultivate, like it's within you now and like in this moment. And it's the people that you meet and the things that you do that are part of the culture that you're ca- uh, captivating and uh, cultivating, sorry. And I think it's also important to acknowledge, like, yeah, like, I'm proud to be Arab, you know, but like, there are, there's so much bad stuff in Saudi Arabia, like, you know, to an extent, like, where I had to leave, where I felt like I just didn't feel like I could be here or be myself if I lived here, like, and I don't even call myself a Saudi, you know, I call myself an Arab, because it encapsulates, like, all of Arabia, because I speak like the same language as everybody who identifies in Arabic culture. And a lot of our cultures kind of like intertwine or it's very similar, like stuff like shawarma or hummus and stuff like that wasn't invented in Saudi Arabia. It was invented in like the Northern regions where like, you know, like Lebanon or Syria and stuff like that. And being an Arab also is like, it's, um, it's interesting (laughs) that the, like we have to when we think of arabs and we have to cast them in shows that they're browner black people most of the time when the reality of the situation is arabs come from all backgrounds like you get you have white arabs who are from you know the northern side of like the middle east like syria and philistine and stuff like that who are white like stark white and there's some egyptians also who are very white i've met a lot of white people who are Arabs, you know, they, they speak, you know, they speak different like accents and stuff like that, but they are Arab, you know? Um, I think we kind of default to Arabs being black or being brown because that's who we see in the media all the time (laughs) as uh, the terrorists, as the, uh, the bad people. It's the, the brown, like the big nose, the beard and all that, like that's the stereotype. And I feel like, we have to dismantle the stereotypes by, you know, casting more people that are black or brown to like dispel this myth that like Arabs are, you know, um, bad people, which that's not the case. I don't think I'm a a bad person, (laughs) you know? Um, But like, I I see what you mean though. And I, I appreciate that. I, I really commend you for like, yeah, I am proud to be Irish, you know, like there's a lot of cool stuff about Irish culture, but also I acknowledge like, you know, there's some bad things as well. And having pride, like it's always baffling to me that people like have so like patriotism, pride and like not just the United States, but like even in Saudi Arabia too, I've seen that a lot, like just patriotism for like a country where I, I don't like one being one of those people, but like, I don't think government cares about any of its people. <laughs> it's like, it's, it, it's, it's in whatever is like, 
the best of their interest. I feel like no matter what they say at the end of the day, like there's no way that this rich politician or rich monarch is going to relate to me someone who's like struggled to like make ends meet, you know, like there's no way that this person's going to relate to me. And it's kind of weird. It's always weird to me. Patriotism is always a weird thing. (laughs) Yeah. I think patriotism is a really interesting concept because there's kind of like one or two ways to be a patriot. I mean, if you look at the traditional definition of patriot, someone who recognizes like the potential place and is willing to to fight for that and to fight for change and to be a revolutionary and i think that weirdly enough in modern times we've really strayed from that original definition of patriot to someone who is proud of their country regardless and i think that if you identify as a patriot and that you you know you love america but you recognize that there are so much that you can't love about it and so much about it that is wrong and bad and you want to fight to change that to make it a place that you can be proud of i would call that a truer form of patriotism than people who want to wave the flag everywhere and yell fuck yeah america Mm -hmm. which is what we heard people on our street yelling on the fourth of july it's like, I yeah. would not define that as patriotism. I don't think that gets to call itself patriotism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't really love, <clears throat> unconditionally love a country that, you know, and not just like, I'm not speaking about America specifically. I'm speaking about the entire world. You know, right. like all, all countries like have blood on their hands in some ways. And it's very hard for me to like, be like, yeah, I'm very proud of my country right now, unconditionally you know, without looking at all the stuff that's been going on. And like America specifically right now is kind of like in that standstill where the election's coming up and people have to vote for like two people that no one really likes, you know, like Joe Biden, like I I'm voting for Joe for sure. And I will encourage other people to do the same, but if the tables were turned here and like, we didn't have Donald Trump, in the office like i don't know if i could vote for like biden you know based on all the stuff that's come out about him like but like if i knew donald trump was not going to be in the office i like i i I think my world view would have changed in that regard but there are a lot of people right now that are just like yeah none of these none of these presidents represent me but like i don't really have any choice and hey guys gals and non-binary pals sid here in the editing bay to let you guys know that when I recorded this episode originally with Aaron, we had a lot of technical issues um, that we couldn't really resolve for a while. And then, uh, yeah, it led to this weird transitional period that you're about to hear right now where the conversation doesn't continue off where it left, where it left off. So just a heads up instead of, you know, actually deleting Aaron's episode or editing it too drastically. I just thought I'd keep it the way it was because there was a lot of cool conversation here and I wanted to share that with you all. So just wanted to let you guys know, this is kind of what happens when you record a podcast over Wi-Fi in isolation (laughs) with no access to the other person's equipment. Okay. Um, Enjoy the rest of the episode with that knowledge that breaks off really weird. Okay, 
Back to the past. Transition. Do you agree or disagree, Aaron? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, again, I think that, like, patriotism in the way that we did currently is really weird but I wouldn't then I wouldn't call that like true patriotism I think true patriotary and fighting for your country to look the way that you believe it could look but unfortunately mm-hmm. I don't we're seeing a lot of that right now yeah would you argue um, that the people who are like Amer- America fuck yeah and all that like is that the America that they want to see and that's why I mean, it is that's the America that's most comfortable for them but unfortunately, they're not thinking about what America looks like for everyone. They're thinking about what America looks like for them. And frankly, I think they enjoy and are celebrating their white privilege. And that is what Fourth of July means to them in a way. Mm-hmm. It's sad. Yeah, I I think it was, I can't remember. There was one of the, one of the older people like in the the earlier years of America who wrote like, what is uh, the 4th of July mean to mean to the, you know, N word or something like that. I can't remember. Oh, it was Franklin Douglas. I think he wrote that. Um, What is page or I'm butchering it so bad. I'm sorry. Like history folks, I am not from America, (laughs) but I thought that like that article, like the essay that he wrote was interesting. I never actually read it, but you talked about 4th of July and, how everybody kind of sees that like we literally for like and we still do to an extent like have columbus day uh which you know in washington it's called indigenous day but you know people widely celebrate christopher columbus for some reason yeah it's the system of celebration is an interesting one because again like we can't say that the holiday means the same thing to everybody when it comes to fourth of july Mm -hmm. i know for me it was just kind of like a family day we spent a lot of time together and would like cook dinner together and would go watch fireworks together and it was very much about family but Mm -hmm. that doesn't mean that's how everybody treats it and there are people who are clearly celebrating colonialism and white privilege and i mean not everybody was free on july 4th so celebrating freedom on july 4th feels a little bit hypocritical Mm -hmm. exactly um and like thanksgiving you know we 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 don't even need to talk about thanksgiving and how awful it is i mean like for now a lot of people like thanksgiving means something different than probably what it was like hundreds of years ago but like it still has its roots in some awful things like with, uh, with killing like native american people right yeah the roots are definitely definitely in in violent colonialism but again, it's one of those things where, like, the meaning has kind of shifted. I don't think anybody thinks about colonialism on Thanksgiving, but they're still, like, enacting it a little bit in a way. So I try to be really intentional about just making it a day about family. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And speaking of family, um, before we do, uh, we're kind of getting into the end of the show here. Um, there's a question I like to ask all my guests on the show. Um, pretend your grandma's here with us now. Um, what's something that you like to tell her right now? Oh, we're going to get a little deep, but I was never really able to come out to my grandma before she passed away. So oh. I think that would probably be the first thing that I'd do. What, what Are you comfortable uh, saying, like, what would you say to her? I don't know exactly what I'd say to her. I mean, like, I kind it, 
would you be comfortable like talking to her and like coming out like right now like saying what you would have said I don't think exactly that I would because I need more time to think about exactly what I would want to say. If that that's was going right. to happen, it, it would need to be perfect. I definitely have to plan. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd I'd want to tell my grandmother my sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I never got to do that before she passed. Yeah. I mean, the way you describe her, um, anyway, like I'm pretty sure she would be very accepting of you. I think she would too. Which almost, it kind of makes me sad about it. Because it's like that could have been a moment between us where we bonded. And I'm I'm relatively sure that she would have accepted me and loved me no matter what. But mm-hmm. I kind of missed out on like having that moment to bond and to to tell her the truth. Yeah. Um, I guess like the moral there is like, don't wait to like ta- tell the people that you love them, essentially. You know? Exactly. Coming out is very hard. Like, and are you comfortable talking about, like, what your sexuality is? Sure. Yeah, I identify as bisexual. Yeah. And, you know, bisexuality, like, has a lot of stigmatism behind it. Like, even in the LGBT community, like, oh, so one day you're dating a boy, one day you're dating a girl or whichever. And, like, it confuses other people. Like, they don't understand that. And yeah, when I came out to my parents, they asked me if I was going to break up with my boyfriend, and I had to explain to them that, like, no, that's not, that's not exactly what that means. I can both love my boyfriend and potentially date a woman in the future. You know. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Jaren Hugley, uh, <laughs> great, great man, that Jaren for sure. Um, but no, um, and I talk about like telling someone you love them. It's like coming out is like we mentioned before it's so hard but it's personal it is um it's a way when you share that information it like sure like you have big people usually have big coming outs and like statuses and all that fun stuff but like initially when you're trying to figure that out and you share it with people um and you don't want people to necessarily know but you chose these people it, it really tells you how much you love them and you want them to be a part of your life and, you know, I'm sure like, yeah, your grandma, you wanted her to be a part of your life. You just couldn't find the right time to tell her those things. And if there was a moral here, I think like, um, especially with COVID and everything that's going on, like if there's someone that you care about and you love them, like, and they mean a lot to you, like, don't wait to, don't wait for that, to tell them that <laughs> ever. Yeah. So- Mm-hmm. So, Aaron, I will say right now that I love you and I appreciate you, and I'm very glad that you're my friend. That means a lot, Sid. Thank you. I feel you're... the same. <laughs> you're welcome. Um, guys, gals, and non binary pals, this has been Wayward Artists in the Wayward World. We are now in the Lightning Round questions. It's a series of five questions I ask um, guests on the show each and every week. They're fun, they're not so quick because we'll do a deep dive to each question. Um, probably should change the title of lightning rounds because they're not really that fast. <laughs> but uh, I don't know what else to call it. Um, Aaron, are you ready? Sure. All right. Question number one. What would be your perfect day? Perfect day. Um, honestly, if I could have both my grandma and my aunt back in my life, probably going to a bookstore, getting a couple books, reading together, picnic, walk, watch the sunset. Just generally a day with a lot of activities that are 
casual that you can kind of talk through and bond through. Do you think, uh, and this probably isn't the same experience, but do you think you could substitute that with a, a really good friend or a really good significant other? I mean, I'm sure I love those things always, but I think what would make it perfect or best, the best possible day would just be if I could see my grandma and my aunt again one more time. Yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we all, I'm, I'm kind of in that state right now with my dogs, Eli and Peyton, shout out to them. Like we have a, we have our new puppy. Uh, did I ever show you a picture? Hear of him. him. Yeah. He's so cute. Yeah, a little Bowie, and then we have Charlie. He's right down there barking at the window. <laughs> but, like, it's so hard because I love them. I love them both, Bowie and Charlie, which, aside real quick before I go into, like, my sad, um, I keep calling Bowie Courtney. And it's because <laughs> uh, whenever I talk about Charlie, like our professor, I'm like, Charlie and Courtney, yeah, Charlie and Courtney, Charlie and Courtney. And whenever I call out these dogs, I'm like, Charlie, Court, Bowie, that's your name's not Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I just surrendered. And I was like, you know what? Your second name is Courtney right now because I can't stop thinking about that. Anyway, um, I love these dogs, but Eli and Payton were special. And they were, they meant so much to me like in some of the most darkest times of my life. And I talk about it with Carson a little bit, like in Carson's episode, because he lost his dog too, uh, Elmo. And um, yeah, I would give, I would give up my own life just to see them like one more time, you know? And I'm at that, I'm still at that phase where I'm just like, I can't really even look at pictures of them or video without being sad. Our pets mean a lot to us. Mm -hmm. So I guess like in a sense, I was trying to relate to you. You want to see your grandma. (laughs) You know, they're two different different species. It's it's totally different, but it's also like you still feel the same love and attachment and you're still allowed to mourn Mm -hmm. the loss of that attachment. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And, you know, bookstores are great. I love, I always remember the good time I had in Portland at Powell. I think that's how you say it. Like that bookstore, the big bookstore that they have there. So much fun. Yeah. Um, We were in a hurry with my friend and uh, we didn't get to, I didn't really get to like live in there like I would have. But if I ever go back to Portland, I will definitely hit up that place. Cause I think we just found it. Like, I don't think we ever intentionally wanted to go. Like we were just walking around downtown Portland and we found it. (laughs) And we were just like, Oh, let's go in here. And we were like, you know what? We can't stay here. We have, we have the train to, uh, to take and we will definitely get lost <laughs> in this bookstore. Um, question number two, what's your third favorite movie? Okay. This is going to sound obnoxious, but I actually have a tier list of movies. Oh, cool. Um, I would say my third favorite movie right now is the handmaiden. Ooh. Um, it's a foreign film by the director of old boy. And it's a remake of this old British movie that's based off of a book. But essentially, it's like this both beautiful and terrifying lesbian love film that's interspersed with like a thriller horror movie. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. I everyone on this show brings a lot of like interesting movies. And one day, like when I 
decide to like, okay, we're going to make this a professional show. I'm going to like make a list. So like my viewers can like, let's have a movie night and review all the movies that were suggested on this show. <laughs> um, Handmaiden. It almost reminded me of the Handmaiden's Tale, which I didn't see, but I, I heard a lot of, uh, a lot about. Um, I'll have to check it out sometime. Uh, question number three: How would I describe you? Oh, how would you describe me? Mm-hmm. Ah, interesting. Um, I think that you would describe me as. I think I'm a little obnoxious sometimes. <laughs> That's so mean. No. I'm going to stop <laughs> I don't you right there. I really think obnoxious <laughs> is a bad thing. Oh. I think it has bad connotations. But, like, you know, I work really hard. I talk a lot. I think you've gotten to see me in some of those contexts, and that can definitely be perceived as a little obnoxious. Yeah. Um, I think you would probably describe me as creative and organized mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, I I would I I would say not the obnox I don't know about obnoxious, but I think there's probably a better word for that. But yeah, definitely organized. But I do talk about you a lot, Aaron. I think I think about you a lot, and even though we don't talk that much, like whenever I talk about Doxy's God, and you specifically had a lot to do with you know a couple of like your scenes specifically, honestly, like of you know, changing my perspective on things. And uh, I've always admired how s- smart you are. Like, you are incredibly smart. And yeah. when I remember you were, like, you were super frustrated because um, I-, I guess maybe I wasn't really telling you that uh, initially, like, how how important you are to the show, that show. And y- you were a little bit frustrated about that. We sat down and talked about it. Like, I had to tell you, like, no, girl, like, you, like, you were so important to the show and for how, and how much you developed CB Sister. I'm sorry, all the dogs are barking right now during my emotional moment. Like, I think the mailman is here and they're freaking out. <laughs> um, yeah, but, like, you change, like, you consistently change my perspective on things and, having those experiences and sit down with you like it it helped me as an artist it helped me as a director to remind myself to like be kinder to my actors and you know i i don't i wouldn't say i was like a mean person like i was like trampling all over my stupid actors or whatever as like directors do but like taking time to like appreciate like what you y'all were doing and you know i did that in some ways but i feel like i could have done that more but um, you you consistently amaze me, and when I thought about you being involved with my show, I was like, "Yes, I want you to be a part of the show." <laughs> um, I, I initially had an idea of like who you were gonna be in the show, but you like I I'm glad that I didn't go in that original direction, and I cast you as CB sister, and the love that you put into that show, like it was so inspiring, and the fact that you don't take bullshit even my bullshit. Like I remember when we were doing one particular scene that, you know, I thought I felt, I felt pretty good about it, honestly, like initially, but then uh, it turned out like you guys didn't like it. (laughs) And uh, you told Kathleen that. And then we honestly, we had that honest conversation of like, Hey, Sid, we don't like the scene. And I got that. Uh, And I wanted to make you guys feel comfortable in the best way I can. And 
that was another thing about you that I like and how, how willing you are to like, you know, get your own, get your way. And in a sense, like not in like that, oh yeah, you're spoiled or whatever. But like, if you see something that you don't like, you will, you're going to call that out and be like, this is unacceptable. And that's another thing that I appreciate about you. And overall, like you've been such a good friend to me over the past couple of years. And I couldn't be more thankful to have you as my friend and a person in my life that I can talk to about things, about theater in a smart way. You know, I, I don't really have, I mean, I have a lot of people that talk theater smartly. I mean, we, uh, this podcast, you know, there's been a lot of cool insight, but you're one of those people that I feel like, oh, I have a question about theater. I'm going to talk to Aaron about it, you know, Aww. like for real, like you, uh, you mean so much to me and I- I'm very grateful to have you. Yeah, I feel like that play was just, it was very, I don't don't know if transformative is the right word, but I feel like I grew so much as a person and like, I learned to advocate for myself, but also to be, I think, more sensitive to other people that I'm working with. And I think that like, I really grew a lot as like a person Mm -hmm. and a theater maker. And I'm glad that that experience happened and that we could all be part of it together. Yeah, I would say it was transformative, at least for me too. Because, like, it was the crux of who I am now. Like I said, you know, reflection has a lot of Doxy's God in it. I mean, a lot of people who worked on Doxy's God worked on that show. And uh, the play that I wrote for Terrain, like, uh, first place, like, had a lot of Doxy's God influence in there. And then doing It's a Wonderful Life and mentoring those kids and now me wanting to be a mentor (laughs) in in a sense, like, there's some Doxy's God in there, too, because, like, you know, all those kids had a really bad school life, you know, and uh, I wanted to not be the teachers that were in Doc's God in a sense, but also like I wanted to help uplift their voices in the same way that it transformed me and you too. So I would say it was a transformative experience. Yeah, in a way. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, overall, like I'm very grateful for you. Um, you said. No problem. It's really uh, nice to hear that every once in a while. It is. I really like, it, and I really appreciate that experience. Mm-hmm. And, I love the learning and growing that happened. Yeah, I feel like I need a lot of that too. Like when you said Ruby did that, it's like, I legit cried, girl. Like I was about to bawl like my eyes Aww. out. I had to like control myself because like this pandemic has just been hard. It's been so hard to like have a positive mindset Cause like I mentioned it in like Facebook too uh, recently, like every, I feel like every, all these positive, like little things and things that make me happy, like I'm doing them, but it feels like it's, I'm putting a bandaid on it, uh, on this bigger problem that's going on. And it's not just like us, me losing theater and stuff like that. Like it's so much more like a million other things that are happening. And it's, it's nice to hear positive things like that when I feel like, specifically me i've been consistently in this negative pool (laughs) that i'm trying to like get out of you know yeah it's nice that you're taking time with like the podcast to to spend some time each week thinking about and talking about things that people are grateful for or appreciative Mm -hmm. of or lucky to have done yeah i also have cool friends too so they have a lot of cool stories (laughs) um question number four a little bit more lighthearted. Um, what's your favorite ice cream topping? I don't really do toppings on my ice cream. I'm kind oh. of a 
Chris. I just do like the ice cream flavor. Oh, like, but have you ever like wanted to go freaky and like, I'm going to add some topping today. Like, is there nothing that you gravitate towards? I'm really boring, Sid. I don't put anything <laughs> on my ice cream. Although I think there was one time when I was a kid and my mom wasn't paying attention and I put marshmallow fluff on my ice cream. <laughs> that was pretty good, but that's not a sustainable thing. Like, were you? what's the story behind that? Like, your mother didn't suspect you. Was she like, were you like trying to hide it from her? Yeah, I mean, my parents are like very healthy people and and want me to eat more vegetables. And here I am putting marshmallow fluff on ice cream. Oh, wow. You wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a rebel. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, then what's your favorite ice cream then? Let's let's skip the topping because in this case. Oh, I'm cookies not... and cream for sure. Nice. Where are you getting that? anywhere any type of cookies and cream although i'm a big ben and jerry's fan Mm -hmm. um and they do like halloween cookies and cream sometimes that uses like the orange oreos and i'm sure it tastes exactly the same but for some reason it just tastes better to me that's you you sound like uh you sound like blue from uh love simon who i think (laughs) he said the same thing about the orange oreos they taste different (laughs) They do. I I believe it. (laughs) All right. Uh, Question number five and the most important question of the show. Um, Left Twix or right Twix? Left Twix? Yeah. Why the left left Twix? Why the left Twix? I feel like left is like, A, fits my political leanings. B, the left side of your brain is associated more with creativity. Mm-hmm. and i don't know i feel like it's just like a quirky different pick yeah well uh to your surprise i think a lot of people picked left so it's not you're also uh, interviewing a lot of quirky <laughs> artistic people well you know a lot of people have different opinions about the left why it matters their choice matters to them um <laughs> you, have, you have to listen to all the episodes though carson's specifically was really really fun um but there's also a lot of people who are like, what the fuck is wrong with you, Sid? Like, what the hell is, what are you trying to say? <laughs> um, but no, uh, left Twix it is then. Um, guys, gals, and non-binary pals, this has been Wayward Artists in a Wayward World. Aaron, do you have any final words? I don't think so. Just, you know, stay cool, be nice to people. Yeah, be excellent to each other. That feels you, like a reference. It is. <laughs> Bill and Ted. I, I, uh, admittedly, I've never seen Bill and Ted, but I know they say that. I've seen it years ago. Yeah. The third one's coming out next week. Is in movie theaters? or? Yeah, movie theaters and VOD. Are movie theaters open? Not in Washington. In the, uh, the states that are... Um, Having not a party good. like not good but like why would you ever go there <laughs> states you know like we don't want to call them out florida um anyway <laughs> guys gals and non-binary pals without further ado it's been real
Yeah.